Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? Okay, I'm going to say a'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I want to say the right things here, not things that mislead people. My name is Radia Razak. Um, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm a Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Accounts for me being on accidental Muslims as one of the reasons. But I, in terms of work, I do environmental law. I'm currently managing... Um, coastal conservation strategies um, in public department environmental affairs so I have a full plate in terms of what I do for a living um, it's very environmentally focused obviously it's about um, touching on marine and coastal management oh, um, but what I do outside of that I think is more my area of interest um, and what I'd like to speak about, and that is that I have a blog site mm-hmm. um, in which I have detailed a lot of um, my history um, relating to abuse that I'd suffered in an attempt to reach other people who may find strength in my story. Mm-hmm. What is the main purpose behind it? I've questioned myself on that many times. <laughs> Um, it's it's quite revealing, okay. um, more revealing than most people are willing to be about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a lot of um, contemplation and introspection before I actually committed pen to paper. These days, pen yeah. is digital um, for the blog. Um, I thought about whether it's wise to mm-hmm. talk about some of these things. And I realized that a lot of the experiences I had, they were there. I experienced them for a reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put me through mm-hmm. certain tests and it could not have been in vain. Um, and that part of that journey was my self-development and my yeah. growth. And also what I can contribute to the ummah through okay. them. <laughs> That's basically what I had in mind. Wow. Okay, we'll get back to that um, just a in, in a short while. Um, tell us about yourself, your, your younger self, your school, your family, growing up. Okay, that, a lot of that is actually in the blog and um, some of it is not very pleasant, but I grew up, I didn't grow up in Cape Town. I grew up in Johannesburg okay. in, um, in apartheid years. Wow. Yes, in a little township called Lanasia. Mm-hmm. Um, which was de- designated for Indians at Indian. the time. Yeah, still is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, not officially. <laughs> so uh, I went to a school called Trinity School, um, and, and, and my primary school, I went to two primary schools there. Um, I had a whole bunch of friends that were, we, we come from a very humble neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, if you want to call it, there were elements of, of street life that we were exposed to, but also a lot of, unity and togetherness that the youth don't experience these days so we had that kind of environment but it was definitely an indian apartheid place that had it its own segregation and its own history and its own tales to tell um and then i i i got married when i was i went to varsity in after high school um got married moved to mayfair 
um, in Johannesburg. Um, I've gotten divorced. Okay. And uh, my husband that you met earlier is actually from Cape Town. But we met in Johannesburg and then moved back to Cape Town, which is where you find me now. Okay. Wow. Okay, that's quite colorful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, what do you think is the most important thing or event or aspect that you took from your childhood and that shaped you into who you are today? From, I think that everything mm-hmm. in life is part of your growth, your learning, your development. So, um, the less pleasant experience that I had had a major impact on me. And that unfortunately was an incident of child molestation when I was about six by a family member. Um, it traumatized me um, tremendously. I can speak about it, alhamdulillah, now openly. Okay. Um, and I've written about it extensively um, in my blog. Um, and I've, I'm also starting a book on my story, inshallah, which is why it stopped some of the, the interaction on social media that I've been busy with. So. What that does is detail my, my, my journey through this. And for me, that was profound in the sense that it gave me a lot of negative aspects that I had to cope with as a child from six years old um, that, that shaped my personality in certain ways. But it also gave me a strength with the mercy of Allah to be able to overcome um, major things in my life and to be able to push through them and to stand tall and to continue being who I am um, and to examine and be self-critical about the negative implications of what happened to me. So, um, yes, I think for me the learning curve was taking what was bad, um, analyzing when I was older, of course, old enough to do this, analyzing how that experience negatively shaped my reactions to everything else in my life. Um, And then when I was able to understand it and package it and and think about it carefully and understand that where Allah says there's mercy in every situation, there must have been a mercy in every situation Mm -hmm. in my life. And He's with every hardship comes ease. And I had to find where that was. I had to look to those eyes to find what is Allah giving me through this experience. I can't just be a, a victim of it. Yeah. And that's what catapulted me to um, actually achieve things that I needed to and to help people through that experience and to help other people who may have been through that so that they don't negatively feed on, on, on those kinds of experiences. Inshallah. I say yeah. this with so much confidence. But yeah. It's my niyat. Wow. That is, I don't know if you can see. Um, so take us through your your healing process um, and how you got to this stage now where you are, where you're so comfortable about speaking about it. You, I'm sure you know that you're not the only one who might have gone through this, but so many people are afraid to come out. I can't agree with you more. In fact, what's becoming more and more apparent to me, and this has come about through my blog because people have been making contact with mm-hmm. me and opening up, but but quietly and, and confidentially, is I think that, unfortunately, my suspicion is, without any um, solid empirical data behind this, um, my sense is that there are more women who have been touched by some kind of abuse in their life than there are those who have not. And when I say some kind of abuse, it can range from 
um, verbal abuse or uh, uh, you know sexual molestation, inappropriate touching, etc., to the full spectrum uh, where it could be rape, for example. Um, because of a number of social factors, uh, women don't come out with it. There's a stigma attached to them. Um, if they do, there's all kinds of negative um, attitudes around people who experienced this. Um, and because of these stereotypings, and, and particularly in, in closer communities, um, there's much less likelihood that that kind of experience will be dealt with appropriately. So people keep quiet about it. And um, they feel too ashamed or they feel like nobody will listen to them or they feel like um, nobody's going to believe them. Now, when I say they understand, I'm speaking from as in, in a generalized sense, because in fact, this, these are the things that I felt yeah. as a child when I was six. I felt like nobody's going to believe me. I felt like exactly. there's look, there's, there's a lot of, um, I must tell you, other things associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um there's the softer emotions because there's a, a, a especially when it comes to pedophilia and, and, and with children, when this happens to young children, there's a seduction that happens by pedophiles. It's not a violent kind of, it's, it's not the same phenomenon that you're talking about when you're talking about people who commit violent rape crimes against women. You're talking about people who are predators who cajole and who um, seduce children by playing on their weaknesses and making them trust them. And and this is the situation that you're dealing with. And you're dealing with a child who doesn't know right from wrong, doesn't know how to deal with these things and doesn't know how to deal with these kinds of emotions. And from that space, that was what I experienced at six years old. And I thought no one in my family is going to actually believe me against this adult who they will all trust. So I kept quiet and that's the pattern that's so dangerous because it, and, and, and you'll find that also from, even though you're dealing with, with, with um, molestation from a very young age, when you go to older girls and older women, then the stigma becomes different. Mm. The stigma becomes, they're going to think there's something wrong with me. They're going to think I asked for it. They're going to think they're going to think. So those are the kind of barriers that stop older girls and older women from actually coming out and speaking about it even <laughs> or seeking some kind of support for it. Um, I think that one of the key things is self-empowerment because if you teach, when women feel lesser than, if they feel like they're not strong enough to come up against um, a paternal figures or older male figures or there's the perpetual subjugation in some way, mental, physical subjugation, and um, they, they continuously feel this way. They're more prone to be and, and feel like victims if something like this happens. Whereas if they have that sense and that's developed in them at a young age, um, anybody who approaches them, they have the defenses to actually resist and not fall prey to that. Because you don't want women also to be perpetually thinking of themselves as potential victims, because that in itself is a negative reinforcement and a cycle that, that we don't want to go in necessarily. So I'm asking, how do you think we can break the stigma, especially for the older generation? I think the starting point is the younger generation. 
Um, because the older generation is being phased out. And, and I say this cautiously because remember, I'm part of that old generation being phased out. But for me, the key is to work with the youth and to work with the younger generation and to, to work with young children because they are the potential. And remember, it's not just women or girls, it's young boys that are also subject to this. And trust me, I think we underplay the impact on young men as well. And what that because the stigma can be ten times worse for young men yeah. if there was any molestation because this I mean we don't even need to go into all of those kind of stereotypes but it's horrendous and I think that that's largely underplayed and the fact that I'm coming with my story from the perspective of a female um, is not necessarily intended to deny the aspect of how this impacts on males um, and it's something that we shouldn't ignore so what I'm saying is. To address the entire spectrum of um, of of this phenomenon, this phenomenon of being taken advantage of, being abused, whether it's domestic abuse, whether it's and and women can abuse men as well. Verbal abuse is also abuse. Isn't that essentially about a transgression of one of Allah's sacred laws about how we need to treat each other? So there's that basic lack of respect. For fellow human beings, if we feel that anybody can be treated in that way, in a way that's less than what Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has has actually given us an example of, so isn't that the starting point? Isn't it to go back and to remind our youth and remind ourselves and our children? Because my children have been schooled. <laughs> I was op- I've been open with them. I don't make these subjects taboo for them. Because if I do, I'm perpetuating the cycle that, that happened to me because you have the notion, oh, this is something bad, you don't talk about it. You must talk about it. You must be able to talk about it in the way that Allah intended because it's a reality, it's part of our life. Um, and the, the act that brings us into the dunya is something that's not a, a, a hidden secret. It's open, there's laws about it. There's even sunnahs about that. So why are we hesitant to talk about that? And, why, and, and and the impact, so, so the more you make it secret, the more it becomes difficult for kids to address that or to even assimilate the notions of it and it becomes something that you talk about behind closed doors. But if a parent, and as young people, my advice to you would be, when you have children one day, inshallah, is to approach them with openness, integrity, and to bring the Qur'an to them in its entirety, in its, in its holistic form. And that would include the, uh, the, the, the hadith, around these kinds of aspects and bring in what it means to be a human being because Islam is about being a decent human being to everybody. I mean, in, in its essence, it's about how we must behave towards each other. Allah gives us these rules and he tells us how to implement them. And apart from how we must worship him, one of the aspects of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is how we treat the Ummah. So if we are bringing that message at the inception stage, to young kids, to our children, to the youth in general, that how you treat another human being, Allah is omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He watches everything that you do. Do you think He will be pleased with you if you treat someone in a way that is not good? That's the starting point. So anything that goes beyond that then becomes becomes entrenched as Allah is watching me. It's an Allah consciousness that we've got to build in people because we've lost that. I'm sorry to say, but we're losing that steadily. 
because we, we're focusing on, on, on a whole range of things, which I'm not saying we shouldn't, yeah. but we're losing focus of the basics. And, and what happens is it leads to these kinds of aberrant behaviors that get overlooked or sideswept because it's not comfortable for people to deal with it. And if we start within our own homes and in the way we, we talk to people, which is why I'm sitting here on this platform talking about something that's not comfortable for everybody. Um, and, and I know that not, I'm not saying everybody must go out there and talk about what yeah. they've experienced because people have different ways of dealing with it. For me, this is something that's part of my personality. I'm open, I'm transparent, and, and I do. One of my strengths is that I'm introspective by nature. So I look for my own faults all the time in, in what I'm doing. I also then am not afraid to bring them out to people or bring what happened out to people because for me, the opinion of them is less important. If they think, oh, I'm, if they think this is bad for me to talk about, that's less important than getting the key message about the evil behind these kinds of, of, of behaviors. Um, as well as how to deal with it in, in a, an appropriate way. And the essence sounds simplistic, but it's la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. For me, everything, everything boils down to that. And that, it was that belief that where Allah, because I turned to Allah at every turn, that He led me in, through this journey and through this path, through the different, different difficult obstacles etc to a point where I can do this and with his help be able to reach other people to deal with it in this way um, so it's not about changing the mindset of old people yeah. it's about going back to basics and reminding all of us and especially the youth of Allah's key message because if we if we internalize that nobody's going to want to do something like this and if it's within their aberrant behavior then they're going to seek help for it or they're going to try and do something that goes away from it because if they truly believe in Allah and they truly follow that, then that's what... Oh, and, and if they don't, because we know everybody, we're not living in a world of full of believers and so we, we're going to have transgressors. But yeah. if you empower as many people as you can to be able to deal with that, they will not be seen as, as, as bait by the predators. So in fact, they'll have that strength of position to not even come across as, as victims, even when they're young, yeah. you know, um, and and I, but for me, that's where I think there would be more success than if we try to change thinking at 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 senior level, if you want to call it. Do you think this is something that's fairly new, or did it always exist? Oh, it's definitely not new. <laughs> I don't think it's new. Um, I, in fact, I I don't think. I don't think it's a, if, if you're saying is it a modern generation yeah, like um, 80s plus, ailment. 90s plus or whatever. I actually don't think so. I mean, let me say another bad word: homosexuality. Um, you know, uh, there's also something that um, is is it's an Islamic topic, but given the constitutional imperative that we have in the country, it's something people don't want to cross because you have to then make a judgment call. So I'm not going to talk about homosexuality, okay. but. Um, that's another, it's another aspect of, of um, and, and, and there are people that say that, you know, people can't help it and they are like this, etc. Are we saying that's a modern phenomenon? When we know in fact through history it happened through the ages. Let's look at um, the child brides that they had, the Egyptians, 
would marry they even had incestors as part of their, their culture at the time they'd marry young boys and girls um, you hear a lot of stories about this kind of behavior in history um, where they speed of rape of course is 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 a different end of that spectrum I'm, I believe that that's an act of violence okay um, and of course we can get psychologists to give us a whole breakdown of how they see these different things playing out but certainly when it comes to pedophilia my suspicion is that it's not a new phenomenon it's um, and if you look at the, at the behavior of people and that need that's developed if we say it's a modern phenomenon then there must be modern reasons that they're wanting to do this and I and I, I can't see that connection I, I see this as, as as an age-old problem um, that was dealt with differently through the ages or not dealt with what's causing it why does it exist okay that for me I think that's a, a deeper psychological question I can give you a very lay opinion um, because of course I'm not a psychologist yeah. but I would cautiously say that the need to do something so aberrant is deeply rooted in a psychological need based on your own fears your own phobias your own um, issues that haven't been dealt with either because it's been done to them previously because there's there's that there's, uh, uh, there's a lot of evidence of the recurrent cycle of abusers having been abused so that's one of the, one of, of the ways that they dealt th- 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 that it comes about but it's again because of something that happened to somebody or the way somebody was treated perhaps when they were young or they were abused and they feel disempowered and they may see this domination over a younger child as redeeming or vindicating that that insecurity that they feel in some way of course we need psychologists to give us the whole breakdown but what my 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 sense is that this boils down to the weakness of the person um when i say the weakness I, i'm talking about fears and issues that they have not dealt with that has that crystallized and culminated in this kind of behavior because i cannot at all believe that people are born with a penchant to perform these kinds of crimes against humanity because that would imply that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unfairly brought them here with with a handicap and that is not possible because we all have an equal and fair chance to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all of us have issues we're human mm-hmm. beings so uh, there's another aspect i think that's very important um to mention and that is that this person's ill is is particularly socially unacceptable and it becomes pedophilia there are other people that react to their fears and their insecurities and um their uncertainties about life in different ways you get alcoholics you get drug addicts you get people who are verbally and physically abusive who can't control their, their temper yeah. but my invitation to you and to everybody else who listens to this or reads my stuff is to take a very close look at yourself and see what is it and it may be a very little thing compared to these big things but what is it that you do as a human being when you feel cornered when you feel stressed when you feel disempowered you're going to react in a certain way you and that that reaction is your nafs it's your animal instinct or reaction because 
you, uh, you may just think about it, you may not act on it. But if we do this, and this is why I practice introspection so much, and can, can, I'll tell you if you ask me about that, my dad and, and, and how I got taught this, that, that, that power of knowing yourself, know your shaitan, is, is another way of putting it. My dad used to say it like that, very simply, know your shaitan, meaning know what your weakness is, know where you can get tripped up, um, in the sense that we're not perfect, we're insane. We do good, we do bad. Um, we, we're going to make mistakes. This is the nature of who we are. We errant. But we're constantly going towards the pool sirat. We're constantly wanting to come onto that path as, as Muslims. So when we get the, 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 the idea that... Uh, but, but we go through stresses and then often we're like, oh, I don't know what to do. You feel helpless, you feel trapped, or you feel depressed. Or um, you feel like there's no hope on, on, in a certain situation or in, in certain circumstances. As Muslims, what we are not taught is how do, you, how do you deal with that? We know, oh, you're supposed to do X, Y, Z. You're supposed to be this. You're supposed to be that. We know this is the example. But we also know as human beings, it's incredibly difficult at certain times to do that. To get to that point. Yeah. To get to that point. So the more you know yourself, the more you're aware of your own truths, in other words, if you react to a situation, instead of saying, looking at how the other people are reacting in that same situation or how other people are reacting to you, it may be more useful to question yourself and say, okay, interesting, I reacted like this. I'm thinking this about this person, but I don't even know why. Why am I doing this? What is it about me that's making me feel this way? So when you start questioning your own motives and you start questioning your own um, reactions to things, that's more inward looking than outward looking where we, we tend to project onto, onto other people and, and say, oh, well, and then that's how we fitna and gossip and want to make ourselves feel better because we think other people are in a worse situation than us. So when you start looking at saying, okay, what am I doing? Yeah. Why am I doing this? What does Allah want me to do in this situation? And trust me, when you're in the crux of a crisis, it's very difficult to actually just obey what Allah wants because you're driven yeah. by your own fear, by your own need in that situation. And that's the time at which I believe if you truly are keen and you turn to Allah in that, He will ease it up for you. Because simply because your need is that you want it and you make the effort to do it. But if you don't, you just end up giving in to your desires all the time. You're giving in to your need to react. You're giving in to be negative. You're giving in to, to, to all the negative things around you. And that's how, when we talk about shaitan influence, shaitan's not coming there to, tell, to, to make us do anything. We know this. It's like, we, he, he's there to encourage us to follow our worst desires and our worst inclinations. So, um, so I, for, for me, a lot of that, um, the key to, to, to activating that, that inner path and growth towards Allah is to know yourself, to know your own truths and to be able to manage that. And trust me, it's not a like, oh, I've done it, now I've arrived. It's a constant thing. So because this is part of who you are and it's part of your tests, because Allah tests us, um, you, will, you will find yourself in a cycle of constantly having to deal with that thing and constantly having to manage it. And what happens with me, and I'll talk to myself, um, I fall off the wagon sometimes. Okay, not the alcoholic wagon, but <laughs> I, I fall off the righteous wagon, let's call it that. 
that I'm ever very righteous, but um, I fall off the wagon. And um, there's times that I feel like just laying there and feeling sorry for myself. Um, but eventually I know and I'm like, yeah, Allah, please help me out of this darkness because I'm in the depths. I can't get up. Please take me out. And then I find myself wanting, when I want to and when I make the effort, it happens. When I, when I want to, but I don't make the effort, it doesn't happen. <laughs> so it, ultimately that's, and, and, and I mean, I, that's why I like that. Um, the surah of um, the, the dua in Surah Anbiya that Nabi Yunus made in the belly of the whale, um, where he's you know he he's crying the depths of darkness. So, ya Allah, there's no one um, like you, and he glorifies all and he says, "I have wronged myself. I've wronged my soul, I've, or I've been wrong, however they tra- they they translate it. Yeah. I've wronged my soul. That sticks with me because it's a reminder that even if an Anbiya can make a mistake." Who are we? But the key thing there is, for me, it says, I've wronged myself. I've wronged my soul. He found himself in that darkness. Not because something Allah did. Because that's also another thing. It's like, oh, I don't know why Allah's doing this to me. Could be a response, which I used to do when I was younger. (laughs) Until I learned better. Mm. And it's not about Allah doesn't do anything to us. Allah only gives us mercy. But we don't see because we're busy living. We're busy making mistakes we're busy getting into trouble and ultimately he's telling us we're the architects of our own imprisonment we're the architects of our own trouble in a sense and then okay there, there is a loophole then the lawyer in me will come out because it's like so if you're the architect of your own tests in a way and so forth what did you do at six to get molested by a molester it's a big question and I've thought about that for many, many years. And I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wouldn't give me something if there wasn't a benefit for me. And, and there may be answers to this that lie beyond us. Maybe we had souls, maybe our souls had made choices before we came here. I don't know about that. Um, but I do know that maybe there was something in my thinking from a very young age that needed me to deal with this aspect. And that's what Allah chose to bring in my path. It could have been through my own choice or not. But as I grew, I made my own choices. I could have chosen, for example, to be an abuser myself. But I had to... So everybody gets a test. Nobody's free of it. Everybody thinks, oh, you know, that person looks like their life is perfect. Um, But if you go, every single human being has had some trauma in their life. Something that they've had to overcome. Something that sticks with them. Something that has such an impact on their lives that it affects everything that they do subtly and sometimes not so subtly because this is the nature of things. And if we think we had it out, I always remind myself, I say, you know, I've had so many weird things happen to me in my life. I'm sure look, I created some of this nonsense. Uh, but if I want to complain, let me think of the life of the, the Ambiyas. They did not have pleasant lives. I mean, their entire lives were, and they were dedicated servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that tells us something. We're not here to have a good time. We're not here to just be happy and exist. We're here for a purpose. One of the things I'm doing is try to, trying to live that purpose before I die in <laughs> as best I can. I must just say that Rada is looking at all of our faces and I think all of us are not, no one's with a dry eye in this room. <laughs> um, very, 
I must say, it's very, very insightful. Um, and she couldn't have been so open. Remember, I come up from apartheid schooling. Mm-hmm. We were in the middle of the boycotts at Varsity. Look, I am quite old. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Um, we used to run from tear gas and get shambok by police and so forth. Coming from uh, um, that kind of context, I've always felt comfortable if I'm contributing to society in some way. So I've always seen, and I truly believe that Allah gave all of us talents. You can't say anybody's stupid or bad. So people may be badly placed sometimes and they don't do well in a certain area because they're probably not supposed to be there or they're better at something else. So everybody, and it's like a big well-oiled machine if, if it works properly, but of course it doesn't. But everybody has a role to play. Everybody has something. To, you'll have people who are, are natural healers and they become doctors or they become some kind of healers. You have um, people who are mathematicians, engineers. Um, you have lawyers. I don't know that there's such a good place for lawyers <laughs> in the world, but but be that as it may, uh, p- people have strengths. So why why did Allah give us talents, if not to use it? But to use it for what? Not to use it to make ourselves big, fat, important, rich, wealthy, full of status. Um, yeah, that for me, that's not what success is. I mean, it may be what, what success to, to is, is painted as in, in some cultures, but certainly it's not an Islamic concept of, of success. And it's certainly not my concept of, of success. So I believe that the strengths that we possess, Allah gave us so that we can use it in our contribution and our duty to his ummah. And when I say his ummah, I'm not talking about Muslims. Because we as Muslims should not be insular, is my thoughts. You know, everybody has their views. We should not be insular and saying we're only looking after Muslims because yeah. we are brotherhood. Rasulullah came here to spread it to others. How are we going to bring other people into the fold of this beautiful religion if we exclude them or if we become elitist in, in, in the way we think? So for me, the ummah is about everybody. And it's about bringing these values to everyone in whichever way you can. I take these values to work, even to the people that work for me. Um, But I'll package it in a way that's not going to alienate them. But I believe that it's my duty for them to see. So if they see through me a strength, they need to understand what the source of that strength is. And the source of that strength is not me. The source of that strength is the Quran, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I believe that everybody's strength, needs to come through. For me, what I see you guys doing brings tears to my eyes because, no, seriously, I'm so impressed. I am so impressed that there are youth that are taking the time and the energy to use what they have to contribute to the ummah in this way. And for me, this is a beautiful contribution. You're bringing people stories. You're bringing dialogue. You're bringing discussion. You're bringing um, truths to the world in a way that they... I mean, you guys... I have technology at your phone. You know, I can barely use my phone properly. <laughs> um, I have to ask my son to do stuff. <laughs> I have a blog site, by the way, which I can just load things on and off. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I can also do pictures, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, what the blog site 
for me was the 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 foundation the stepping stone and i've stopped uh blogging for a while i'm on pause because i'm busy writing a book i've got a lot of random articles on my blog but the the key thing there was something called my story where i've chronicled what happened to me and it's not pretty <laughs> It's really not pretty. Um people have come back and said you're so brave and every time they say you you're so brave I cringe. Because it I have to make to R every time I write. I had to make to R every time I blog, I post. I asked my husband to first um screen it for me and edit and am I am I making anyone look bad in here? I don't put names on and is it something that doesn't feel right and then he'll tell me I think this needs editing and then I'll read again and then when I post I read again and I ask her to help me with this thing because it was incredibly difficult it was like sometimes it used to tear at me and I said sometimes like why are you doing this to yourself but I knew because there's a higher purpose this is not about me and if if people if it reaches one person then alhamdulillah I've done something and then I found it reaching more than one person and that and but the danger again was I had to look inside and say am I feeling too big headed about this am I making this about me because it's very easy to slip into that if people praise you it's very easy to say oh my goodness am I going to fall into that trap of oh I love this attention I'm doing this it does feel good but you've got to like with every single thing else in your life you've got to center yourself you've got to discipline yourself and you've got to remind yourself over and over la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah la ilaha illallah because if we lose the essence of that message then we fall privy to all and it's it's so easy and it's so subtle to just fall into that trap so that was one of the dangers but now um i got inspiration to do a book on it and alhamdulillah I'm busy with that so I'm working with an editor to turn the story into into a book and 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 that's the project I'm busy with but of course it's just it's very small things mm-hmm. it's it's a small beginning and it's my and if this is the only contribution I've made alhamdulillah I've done something that's how I see it when will your book be launched oh I don't we haven't even <laughs> finished editing it I don't even have a title for it yet <laughs> but but you can see the the previews if if people want to read about my stories on my blog it's um and I, i'm it, it's on uh, radia like my name r a d i a r being my surname at uh, .coza it's radia.coza r a d i a r.coza um, and that's where you'll find my story um i must warn people that it's not for the faint hearted um i've tried to be as um as subtle as possible because you can't be overt and explicit in some of these things but i needed to bring truths out and there was a woman that came back to me and she said you know i've never heard somebody speak about this but i've gone through this myself and um i and and she's a woman who's been very confused she's been pulling away from the dean because her mom i know her mom and um when i i i spoke to her mom and her mom explained to me what the situation was i thought maybe inshallah something in those words will come through for this girl and inshallah she will come back to the path with allah's help if and but she just needs support you know but people need support they don't need to be judged and i i know that i opened myself up to being judged but it's a small price to pay yeah uh, that's how i see it inshallah may my life be of use to others yeah. right. okay. <laughs> inshallah 
Do you have any mentors? My dad was my, my mentor. Okay. My father passed on uh, 20 years ago. Um, he, my, my father was a Sufi healer. Um, he did Ahli Sunni work. Um, he was very unconventional man, Abdurrahman Razak. Um, he, he, he lived a very um, controversial life as well. So he moved, he, he had a very bad reputation and he got, he, he, he's got into the life of Sufism where he adopted that and then he ended up helping people that couldn't be helped elsewhere. So um, he had a very, he taught me the fundamentals of fiqh. He taught me the fundamentals of belief in Allah. Mm-hmm. He taught me how to take my experiences and turn them towards Allah. So essentially, I think I have him to thank for a lot because mm-hmm. he was my ustad. Alhamdulillah. May Allah give him the highest journey. Do you have a favorite ayah? That. It's the one that I mentioned. <laughs> Look, oh, I like yeah. I have a fa- yeah. favorite surah, which is Surah Kaf, mm-hmm. uh, but it's like long and involved, and I'm not gonna go into yes. into that. But I I do like it because, and you'll see. Um, I I told you about the, my my favorite ayah um, being La ilaha illa anta Subhanaka inni kuntu bin al-dhalimin. Fastajabna lahu wa najina min al-ghamil. Um, it's the, that ayat for me symbolizes me because I'm always making mistakes. I'm always finding myself in darkness in some way or the other. And it's the thought and the memory of that that pulls me out because it's really the essence of how you can turn to Allah in your darkest moments and it can be your biggest points of strength because if you're a believer, he will take you out. And then uh, I like Surah Kaf because it turns everything on its head. Everything that people think and judge to be right is actually not what it appears. And for me, that's what the dunya is. The dunya is, it's misleading. What we think is right is not always, all the isms we get taught, mm. um, the, the, a lot of the human rights aspects and, and acceptance, and, and which even accepts promiscuity as a, as a norm, you know, and all kinds of things that the Quran talks against. Um, it seems right because everybody says this is how it should be. So it's 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 misleading in a way. It's it's um, it's almost like an illusion, um, and and you believe you're doing everything right when in fact it, you're not. And Surah Kaf for me demonstrates that in a way. It demonstrates a whole lot of things, but the key aspect for me is where 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 Allah takes an ambiya, is one of His prophets, and an ordinary man to teach him, and to teach him, and He says to him, "You're not going to have patience with me." And he says, I will. Mm-hmm. And he sees this man doing these things and he yeah. doesn't understand it. And that is very much my father's how my father's life was. Um, so I relate to it very closely. And also, if you read about the things that I went through, I mean, it's very easy to sit and say, my God, what was wrong with this woman? Now, when I was halfway through my blog, interestingly enough, I hadn't completed some of the stories, you know, where you can get the culmination of it. I got a comment from somebody, a friend of mine, that says, my goodness, how could you have done these things? How couldn't you see? Couldn't you? And I had to restrain myself because I do have a temper. It's one of my weaknesses. Okay, it was one of the things that happened to me and I got involved. I got married to the wrong man and I did bad things with this man and it's like, 
Wasn't there anybody to guide you? Couldn't you? How could you have made this the, the stupid mistake? All of us do stupid things all the time. All the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like my story is full of all the stupid things I did. Um, not nice to reveal, but it's real. Yeah. And trust me, ninety percent of people out there they have their own real stuff that they, they would they wouldn't talk about, not expected to talk about. But the fact that they see other people have experiences or somebody else has makes them feel, okay, I'm normal. You know, there's hope for me. So when you see in Surah Kaf, that um, idea of, you're not supposed to do this, but that person has information that we don't have. Sayyidina Khidr had information that Nabi Musa salam, didn't have. And he could act in a way because he was acting on different instructions, on a different paradigm. And he knew Nabi Musa salam, wouldn't have patience with it. But he did it because that's what he needed to do. And that just shows us when we judge what people do, it's so easy. It's like, and astaghfirullah, I am guilty of this so much myself where I just knee jerk to somebody and um, something someone's done or said. And I'm like, but how can they do this? And I have to stop myself because I don't know the context. I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. I don't know what the reason is. I don't know whether, in fact, that person's going to make tawbah that will bring them closer to Allah than all my salah, for example. So that judgment is, just, for me, one of the big things that trip us up. And I think that, that that surah is one of the surahs that if you look at it deeply enough, you'll see those kinds of truths coming out. What excites you about the youth? You guys. <laughs> what are you doing now? Um, the fact that the youth are energetic, that you guys have, the world is your oyster at the moment. You have access to technology, you, you have um, access to, to tools that can help you make huge differences like you guys are doing now. That truly excites me. And what concerns you about these? Well, in general, of course, there, um, there's a, a trend that we're seeing on TV towards a lack of discipline amongst the youth, uh, falling into all kinds of social ills more than they used to, and a lack of respect that seems to be creeping in. Uh, and I'm talking very much in general. Um, it's not race-specific or, um, or clan-specific or religion-specific generally. There seems to be a lack of... The, the, the respect that existed um, uh, amongst youth before I, is not that evident anymore. And you see it in schools and you see it, you know, on the playgrounds and you see it in the way people interact with other adults and, I mean, young kids. That's, that doesn't make me feel very good. What are you most grateful for? My family, mm. alhamdulillah. Allah's blessed me. Um, I had a very tough life getting to this and I'd always wanted the white picket fence. <laughs> eluded me for a long time. But now I have a strong, supportive family, beautiful, three beautiful children, alhamdulillah, a wonderfully supportive husband who's much better than I am in character. So it makes it very difficult to me. So I'm <laughs> always comparing myself and falling short, but I always make him feel bad because I don't want him to know that I think he's so great. <laughs> and um, I'm also fortunate in that my brother, who's almost like a soulmate to me and his family are very close to us as well. 
um, his wife and his three little kids. So I, I, my mom used to be with me, but we still have a very close connection. I'm, and my brother is not with us, but I have very strong um, connection and gratitude for the beautiful family Allah gave me. Alhamdulillah. What would your last words be to the world if you were given that opportunity? It's never too late. And that's open-ended because it's never too late. It's never... I, I believe that even on your deathbed uh-huh. is where even if you've done a whole bunch of bad things in your life, it's redeemable on that point if you turn to Allah. Uh-huh. It's never too late. And there's another question. People can't get enough. <laughs> there's another question which was on the previous video which asked, um, how would you like to be remembered? You know, I mean, I can lie and say, oh, it doesn't matter as long as I did something good. But I'd like to be remembered as someone who made a formidable contribution to this dunya. It may not happen, but that's that's what I would have liked. That's what I would like. Wow. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I think thank you is an understatement today. I, uh, we really appreciate having you. Alhamdulillah. The information you shared with us, I'm sure you've touched many, you've certainly touched us. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for attending. Thank you. And thank you guys for what you're doing. May Allah continue to reward you and take you from strength to strength, inshallah. So that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.